Well, this is the season of fall carnivals and state fairs, isn't it? I know up north they do them a little differently and they have uh, their state fairs and things like that in the summer. There is no way that could ever happen here. And so we have ours in the fall. Whenever I think about a fair, I remember going to the state fair of Texas, which is where I grew up. I mean, not at the fair, but grew up in Texas, going to the fair. Um, With my first ride being the Tilt-A-Whirl. Yes, some of you know this ride. It looked like fun. And I mean, I couldn't wait to ride it for the first time. I can't remember if it was my dad or my older brother who told me that the key to not getting sick and throwing up everywhere while twirling around was to find something fixed to look at as things were spinning around quickly. And it worked. It worked and proved to be great advice for more abusive rides uh, that I would ride as I got older especially at Six Flags and other places, the kind that twist and turn and go upside down. And at that point, you just lose your fixed point altogether. Well, finding something fixed to look at when things are spinning is also great advice for life, isn't it? It's what the author of Hebrews wanted a church to know long ago. Advice that is still relevant for us today, especially today, as things are tilting and whirling uh, all around us, really out of our control so fast that we can so easily get dizzy and be unable to find our way. Maybe you feel a little like that this morning, like things are just all out of sorts. Chances are you have felt that way in this past week. Chances are you will feel that way at some point in this next week, especially with all the roller coaster emotions and events that take place with this pandemic that we are in. We may even feel a little like Job. I always love it when Job comes around in the lectionary each year. You never know what you're going to get from Job. We've got some sores and some other things in there today. Job had a miserable life, didn't he? And yet he found his fixed point in the midst of it all. Well, fortunately, the words of Hebrews in our lesson this morning still apply to us. They're still here for us today, pointing to something to fix our eyes on and giving us what I have found to be three actions to take as we do this. First, we are to see. The author wanted the church to see Jesus. Seeing is a step beyond looking, isn't it? It involves noticing something. It involves perceiving and and beginning to take in just what it is that your eyes are fixed on. Well, this was to happen as they were dealing with difficulties and as things were spinning them in all different directions, but especially spinning them away from their faith in Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews is really concerned about this, hearing stories about some of them turning away and walking away from Jesus. In the midst of all of this, the church was to look at Jesus and to see Him 
to perceive how God's glory was perfectly reflected in him. If you look back there in the text, which is in your bulletin, or also if you're looking in your Bible, you will see these words that are there describing Jesus and the the majesty and, and the identity of Jesus. And that God was perfectly reflected, God's glory reflected in Jesus. And how God's exact likeness was imprinted on Him. Much as a coin has the imprint of a president or someone else, you can look at that and get an idea of what that person looked like. And so the author of Hebrews says, you can look at Jesus and get an idea of who God is because He is God in flesh. Well, when we are going through difficult times, we too are to look at Jesus. As we do, we see in Him the reflection of God's glory. We understand that Jesus embodies God's glory. A great sight to see when we are in the midst of darkness, when we are in the midst of dismal circumstances. God's light shines through all of that in Jesus. As John writes in his Gospel, such light overwhelms and overcomes the darkness. That's the great news of John chapter 1, isn't it? That in the midst of all this darkness, a light was shining. And we will look more closely at that as we get into the season of Advent in December. This light that comes to us. God's glory will not be extinguished by the difficulties we face. And we need to know that. The Nicene Creed, written almost 300 years after Hebrews, depending on when you date Hebrews, it contains beautiful language that expresses this reality about Jesus. And we're going to say these words before communion this morning, but I want you to hear them, at least a few of them right now. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from, from heaven. Aren't those beautiful words? They have framed the faith of the church through all these years. What an amazing description of Jesus. One that we say together in worship that can also dwell on as we enter into the week. You have those printed for you in your bulletin. You can take them with you this week and just read them every day this week and think about them. Seeing Jesus when things are difficult will make all the difference in the world. It will make all the difference in your week this next week. Well, second, we are to hear. So the first is to see. The second is we are to hear. The author reminded the church of how God had spoken to their ancestors In many ways, he says, he or she, through the prophets, but had now spoken to them directly through a son. That's pretty special, isn't it? Even in the midst of the turmoil of their lives and uncertain circumstances, they could hear God by listening to Jesus the Son. Even as they probably felt alone and deeply in need of of hearing direction about their future, they were not beyond hearing God's voice. It was an ever-present reality 
right there in the words of Jesus that were shared within their church each week as they would gather just like we do, except in in houses and different places where they could uh, find places to worship. And they would hear these words of Jesus each week and they would dwell on them. They would study them. They would apply them into their lives. And that voice of God through Jesus has continued to flow throughout the history of the church. I mean, here we are today, just like they were, considering the very words of Jesus. God is still speaking. Do you believe that? I want you to turn to somebody nearby. Those of you in the middle, you're going to really have to shout this out. Y'all are sparse. But to say, God is still speaking. Just say it. Are we still listening, though? God's still speaking, but are we listening? Like the Hebrews church, we may get so turned around by the problems and the suffering of life that we think that God has nothing more to say to us. That if God isn't absent, then God must be silent. But God has already spoken to us. Directly to us with the things that we need to hear. We hear the voice of God when we read the Gospels, when we put Jesus' words into practice, and when we allow God's Word to sustain all things, as it's described in this text this morning. All things sustained by Jesus. If that's not a part of your daily routine, why not make it a priority this next week? Well, there is a third way of realizing what God has done for us through Jesus, and that is to experience it. The author of Hebrews described uh, the work that Jesus did uh, for them through his reconciliation, becoming the pioneer of their salvation. That work, one of suffering and redemption, as he uh, mentions here in this text, And you can go on and read about even more suffering, not only for Jesus, but for the followers of Jesus. That made them a part of God's family. Because of what Jesus did as the pioneer of their salvation, they were made a part of God's family. As the author states it, for this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. As we go through the difficulties of life, we are to hear these words for ourselves. Knowing what God has done to make us whole. And this happens when we remember what God has done through Jesus to bring salvation to us and to the world. It happens when we experience it for ourselves. A reality that counters our sin and our shame, our isolation, our addictions, and our greatest struggles of life. And it negates any thoughts that we have of being imposters in God's family. Have you ever felt like that? That you're just an imposter in God's family? Well, you don't have to feel that way. And you shouldn't feel that way. As Jesus now calls us brothers and sisters. We're a part of God's family. I wonder, have you experienced that reality? Have you experienced the reality of your salvation? Well, in his commentary on Hebrews, Doug Bratt 
shares a story that I read this past week that I wanted to share with you. It illustrates what God has done for us. And maybe some of you have read this book. But in his fascinating book, he writes, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. I'm not sure if I'll ever mistake my wife for a hat. It's a great title. But that's the name of the book. Uh, And Other Clinical Tales is a part of that title. Oliver Sacks, who's the author of that book, he tells the story of Jimmy, who remains forever stuck in 1945. Jimmy is a very nice, pleasant person with whom you can have a nice conversation, he writes. But if you leave the room after even a two-hour conversation and then return a little bit later, he'll greet you as if it's the very first time. This vacuum, he says, leaves Jimmy with minimal joy because it locks him in what a colleague calls an ever-changing but finally meaningless present moment with nothing old to ever look back on and nothing new ever to look forward to. He says joy is largely impossible for Jimmy. But there is one time when Jimmy shows something like joy, a moment when the largely vacant look on his face is replaced with something that looks like completeness, wholeness and calmness. It's when he takes communion. When Sachs mourned to the nuns who care for him that Jimmy's disease had stolen his soul, they invited him to come back for communion. And when Sachs returned, he saw Jimmy fully participate in the service, recite the familiar lines, say the prayers, and then go forward to receive the wafer. As he did, Jimmy's face was a picture of calm and even joy. He says we might say that the Holy Spirit helped Jimmy hear God's Son speaking to him through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. It's a great story, isn't it? It was in communion that Jimmy could do the three things that we've considered. See, hear, and experience the reality of what God has done for us in Jesus. That's what Jimmy did. And now it's our turn. Let's pray.